Pete Van Epp with Cameron Brooks. Welcome to another edition of the podcast. I'm excited to bring this one to you. On this episode, I meet, meet with Chris Wilkerson. Chris is a former Marine Corps combat engineer, and his, int- his experience is interesting because he started in a real traditional roles. He was a platoon commander for a while, and then he was a company executive officer for a while, and then he got thrown into, really thrust into a company command position where he was leading 150 Marines um, up for over a year. And the reason I think that's interesting is because when he transitioned, he went to a company called DeVita, DeVita Kidney Care, which is a dialysis company. And he really went into a regional operations director role, so a general manager level role, um, as a five-year officer coming out of the Marine Corps, which is a really big job, GM job, for a five-year officer. So the fact that he had taken that company command as a first lieutenant in the Marine Corps and went through all of the growing pains and the steep learning curve and all of the things associated with that allowed him to really come to a career conference, be competitive for a higher level GM role and get the position. And now he's been doing that role for over three years, maybe three and a half years at this point and doing a really great job. So the thrust of the podcast, really, I wanted him to talk a little bit about that, certainly, but I wanted him also to explain who DeVita is, what they do, what his role in the organization is, how he's measured, a little bit of the day, day-to-day in the life of a GM at DeVita, Regional Operations Director. And then at the end, he gives uh, a little advice and, and makes some recommendations. So it's just a fun conversation because it gives you some insight and a little behind the scenes of one of the great companies out there who really looks for military, you know, high, high potential military talent to come lead some of their teams. And it's just a fun conversation to learn more about that. So um, uh, if you're interested in learning a little bit more about us, Cameron Brooks, I'd encourage you to go to our website, Cameron-Brooks.com. You can check out PCS to Corporate America, written by Roger Cameron and and um, co-authored by our president CEO, Chuck Alvarez, and our senior vice president, Joel Junker. Now in its fourth edition, you can pick it up on Amazon. All the proceeds uh, of the sale of the book go to uh, the Nimitz Foundation, which is a 501c3 in Fredericksburg, Texas. Anyway, uh, really appreciate you tuning in. Uh, without further ado, here's Chris. Hey, Chris, thanks for, uh, thanks for carving out a couple of minutes for us today. Welcome to the podcast. Hey, thank you very much for the invite, Pete. Very happy to be on here this this morning to, to get to chat again. It's, it's been a while, so I know. Uh, very happy to reconnect I, with you. I know it has been a while, and the cool thing is, it, it's been so long that you know, here at Cameron Brooks, we call a transition not getting out of the military and going straight into the role that you're in, but getting out of the military, going into the role, and then transitioning over the course of like three years. And so right, you're well exactly. beyond <laughs> that three year mark right now, and so. I like having people on that have been out there for a while because because your perspective, you know, at three plus years in is is very different than probably right when you first started. So I'm ex- excited to explore some of that. Why don't we start with just giving everyone who's listening just just give us your um, your Marine Corps background. Let, let's hear a little bit about your military experience first. Okay, absolutely. So uh, my my occupation, especially in the Marine Corps, was a combat engineer officer. I did right just shy of five total years uh, in the Marine Corps. 
And once I finished up all of my training, um, I did have a pretty nice progression of leadership roles that I was able to have the opportunity to be a part of. So I started off as a platoon commander and spent um, a little over a year in that role. I was able to deploy to Afghanistan in 2013 as a uh, motor transport platoon commander. And um, when I came back from Afghanistan in late 2013, I transitioned into a company executive officer role. Spent about seven, eight months in that role, and I was a pretty senior first lieutenant at the time. And uh, I actually had the opportunity after the company executive officer role to transition into a company commander role um, within the unit that I came back to after coming back from deployment. And I uh, spent a little over a year in that role. I ended up getting promoted to captain towards the end of my time as a company commander, which is a little unique, but uh, it was a great experience for me that I think really helped tee up my opportunities uh, when I went to the conference with leadership opportunities that were provided for, for me. Uh, and then I rounded out the last uh, seven, eight months or so. Um, I transitioned over to the higher headquarters command uh, on Camp Lejeune, North Carolina, the two uh, Marine Expeditionary Force headquarters. And I was assigned into a small team in the operations office, uh, operations section as a engineer operations officer. So um, we got some, some staff uh, officer training there and was able to work with a smaller team in a uh, non-direct leadership role. That was a pretty unique experience to kind of round out my, my last few months in the Marine Corps. So, um, yeah, I was, I was very fortunate to have a pretty consistent progression of leadership opportunities that I think really uh, helped tremendously with uh, the opportunities that I was able to, to get at the conference as well as uh, what I'm doing right now. Quick question about the company commander time because it's it it does feel a little unusual to go from from platoon commander to company XO right into 150 Marine command for over a year. What why did you get that opportunity? What happened at that point in your career? Yeah, so the the, the company commander I had at the time when I was the company XO, um, you know, he he took some time to kind of develop me and. And, you know, of course, it was I didn't have all the educational prerequisites to actually, you know, get selected for a company command billet. Um, but there there did become a vacancy uh, with uh -huh. one of the companies in, in my battalion. And um, they uh, the battalion commander at the time, you know, he was trying to figure out, you know, of all the available uh, captains and lieutenants that might be able right. to, to fill in. And, of course, as, as still being a first lieutenant, you know, I didn't quite meet the rank requirement yet. And so. Right. Um, you know, he, he approached me one day and uh, it was very unexpected. And he asked me what I would think about um, about stepping into that role, uh, regardless of the fact that I was still the first lieutenant. And, mm -hmm. and uh, my company commander at the time had had, you know, kind of prepped me a little bit with with that potential opportunity. And so it was something that I was really uh, I was pretty uh, surprised to be approached with that opportunity. But I knew that it was something that uh, I did not want to pass up. And it was, you know. I'm not, to be completely transparent, I was pretty intimidated at first and a little, <laughs> uh, it was just one of those opportunities that you know aren't going to come across very often and that you can't say no to and you kind of will figure it out along the way. But I had a really good about two to three week uh, turnover process where I was able to kind of just get immersed with everything that I was going to have to take on in that role. So, um, and yeah. then uh, surrounded myself with some, I had some really good uh, other Marines that were in that company that were able to kind of helped me out along the way. So it was a great opportunity and uh, one that I uh, did not expect to be able to have so early in, in my time in the Marines. 
Well, I think I think at least to a degree, and you were alluding to it earlier. That's probably one of the reasons that allowed you to be successful in such a high. I mean, you're walking into such a high-level general management role from the beginning. I assume some of that experience really helped that out. I, I'm getting ahead of myself though, because actually, before we go there, tell tell me a little bit about. Tell me a little bit. Well, let's start with Debita. Tell, tell me about. Tell us about your company. Who do you, who do you work for? What yeah. do you guys do as a company? So Devita Kidney Care is a Fortune 200 healthcare company focusing specifically on providing dialysis services for patients that have end stage renal disease. So what we're talking about here is these are patients who no longer have kidney function, or they might have some residual kidney function, but uh, unfortunately they need to have dialysis. Uh, which is a, a medical procedure that essentially removes excess fluid and um, cleanses toxins out of the blood that your kidneys normally would do on their own. And so um, there's a few various different ways that patients can select to receive their dialysis, but most commonly what we're seeing is patients that choose the, the in-center clinic setting where they're usually spending 12 to 15 hours a week in a wow. dialysis facility receiving three to four treatments a week um, getting getting their dialysis, so it is a it's an essential life sustaining medical procedure, um, and you know we do a lot of work to try to, to get patients on the transplant list and hopefully find a way for them to no longer need to do dialysis. Um, there's some other uh, modalities to where they can choose to do dialysis at home, and we have a lot of initiative right now across the organization to try to uh, grow those home modalities just because they have oh, okay. proven to have way better clinical outcomes and just quality of life for the patient, which is really at right. the end of the day the most important thing. So um so yeah, that's that's really uh the big picture mission of DeVita. Well that's interesting and I don't you know, I uh, maybe we can go down this road for just a moment, but you know, if you're if you're if a push in the organization is to move people to more of the uh, peritoneal or the in home dialysis Right. Um, mm -hmm. Doesn't that doesn't that mess up the current business model as it relates to the centers? And tell me tell me more about that. Yeah. So it it really will just based on the the goals that we have set for ourselves. Uh, you know, uh -huh. We have a pretty pretty aggressive goal to try to grow that uh, the patient population on the peritoneal home modality. Um, uh -huh. But it, even then, uh, it's not something to where you know the in center settings are going to be put at, at jeopardy of being able to be sustainable if that modality continues to grow like we're hoping it will. So yeah. um, really the goal we have right now within the organization is to try to get uh, at least 25% of our patient population to, to be on that modality by the year 2025. So we've got wow. you know a few more years. It's, it's a pretty aggressive goal. It doesn't sound like it's that, that challenging just based on the numbers, but um, you know, it's definitely something that we have a lot of energy around right now. So uh, I, I don't think uh, I don't think there's any concern that um, by that potential amount of growth on the peritoneal modality that we'll see any um, yeah. decline in sustainability over the, right. the in-center clinic setting. It's not like you're cannibalizing your business on the in-center stuff. Right. Right. Mm -hmm. Okay. Um, and there's actually there, and, and just another note on that is there's a lot of uh, you know federal regulations and you know we're very heavily uh, governed by Centers for Medicare and Medicaid so. Um, you know, it's a really big uh, initiative across uh, CMS as well to try to grow these modalities across the entire industry, not just specific to the data. Gotcha. Um, why did you, okay, so you came to the conference, Chris, you had a very successful conference. Um, 
And what I'm going to try to do for everyone who's listening, when Chris came to the conference back in 2015, after he was done, he filmed one of those testimonial videos that we put on our social media. So I'm going to actually try to find that and link that video to our show notes as well. So you can kind of see Chris right, right when he had finished his conference. But so tell me why you chose DaVita and ultimately why you chose DaVita and what other types of roles were you considering in the moment? Yeah. So I believe I I had requested to have, I believe, 75% of my uh, conference opportunities to be in team leadership role, and I believe uh, the other 25% I selected to be more in a sales role. But mm-hmm. um, you know, when I when I did my follow-ups and I, you know, had in front of me the opportunities that that I was going to ultimately have to make a decision across, um, I really to me came down to two different companies. Of course, Davida is who I selected. And the other company I was on the fence with was Textron Aviation for one of their regional sales associate roles. And, um, you know, they're two completely different sides of the spectrum in terms of career path. And for me, um, I was going back and forth. I was thinking to myself, hey, you know, all of my experience that I've had so far in my professional life has been leadership. You know, I've been in a lot of different leadership roles, and I really get fulfilled by that, by working with teams and helping accomplish goals and, and whatever it may be. And just the personal face-to-face interaction with with my team is something that I knew I really liked and that I felt like I had done a pretty good job in just through the experiences that I'd had in the Marine Corps and possibly being able to carry that into a new industry um, seemed exciting to me. And then on the flip side, I was thinking, well, you know, I've never done, I mean, yes, we've all done sales in some way, shape, or form, but never actually in a career setting to where it was going to dictate, you know, know, my compensation and, you know, my overall success or failure. And so uh, with Textron, you know, I, of course, that, that role was going to be, you know, aviation sales to, you know, C-suite, you know, executives, uh, you know, other high net worth individuals and, and whoever else might be in the market for, for aircraft. And, uh, you know, when I was just comparing the industries and then comparing the essences, the essence of each role, I just really kind of went back to what I felt that I would have, you know, the most fulfillment from and what I frankly felt I would do better in. And um, I ended up choosing the, uh, the the leadership role, the regional operations director role with DeVita, um, just because to me, and you kind of mentioned it a little bit earlier, but the best way that I would describe my role, uh, especially to other JMOs, is it's kind of like a, if you took a company commander role and an operations officer role and kind of combined the two, it's kind of just like that, but just in a healthcare setting. So you have all of the responsibilities of, of having direct reports and indirect reports and um, just the ultimate, the, at the end of the day, the success and failure of your regional geography. Um, but then also you're pretty involved with all the day-to-day operations uh, with everything besides just the clinical outcomes, but also the financial outcomes, the growth of the, of the business. Um, just literally everything that you can think of uh, really falls on the responsibility of the regional director uh, within the region. So that's, that's ultimately what I was kind of, debating between. Uh, it took me about a week to, to figure out exactly what I was going to do. And I had a conversation with Chuck and, uh, you know, he gave me two really good perspectives and ended up going with Vita. So I, uh, I want to give everyone who's listening and I want to, I, I want to talk about more of the day-to-day life. Um, um, I want to give people some perspective of the hierarchy of your role. You're in a regional director job you man, so how many centers do you o- oversee right now? Right, so right now I have 13 total centers, um, and that has changed a little bit over the last three years. I started off having 16, 
went to 14, went back to 16, and now I've been at 13 for a few months. So okay. we do have a pretty often within the organization, uh, there's realignments or restructurings of of uh, geographies. So sometimes that changes the total region size count. But I've, I've consistently had 13 for the last about year or so now. Well, just just curious, why why is there realignment from time to time? So a lot of times what happens is uh, as we continue to grow and more centers are, are adding to the portfolios of different mm-hmm. regional geographies, um, we're going, we're, we just keep having to kind of right size it. And really, mm-hmm. you know, the senior leadership in DeVita, they don't really want regional directors to have more than 12, 13 clinics or so, because once you get too much higher than that, it really just stretches your capacity to where, you know, my, my particular geography is pretty spread out. I'm kind of all over the western half of Missouri. Um, so, uh, having a presence in the facilities is definitely uh, a huge part of the role, and that becomes a pretty significant challenge when you have 15, 16 plus clinics spread out all across the state or, or, or whatever the geography may be. So, gotcha. That's a lot of the reason why the the realignments occur sometimes. Now, each center has their own facility administrator. Are there any group facility administrators between you and the and, and the actual person running the facility? Uh, yes. So I I had one uh, group facility administrator, and uh, she she helped me out tremendously as a brand new regional director. Uh, she was very savvy, had a lot of of knowledge in the industry, just knew how to do a lot of the day to day stuff that I hadn't quite mm-hmm. figured out yet. And so I really uh, buddied up with her. And, you know, even though, of course, we had a, um, a professional relationship in terms of me being, you know, the, her, her manager and, and her reporting to me. But, you know, it's just like it's just like it is in the military, where as a young officer, you go to a unit and, you know, whether you're a platoon commander or, ex- or whatever it may be, you know, you're going to get in. You know, I would I would say, you know, what always worked well for me and I'm sure for other people that that are listening is, you know, you, you really rely on the experience of, of the of the senior enlisted or anyone who, who might have more experience than, than us at the time, which is usually everybody. Um, mm. So uh, that is really the same exact strategy and the way I went about it when I came into DeVita. Say, hey, I've got all these, um, you know, brand new, this brand new team with a ton of experience, like I'm going to really rely on them. So yeah, um, so I have one GSA. She recently uh, relocated to a different, uh, she went to the Northwest and she joined a new team. She's still with Davida, just with a different team. And I had another uh, facility administrator who has been a high performer for a couple of years now. And we've had some conversations in the past few weeks. And I recently just promoted her to group facility administrator. So oh, wow. I, uh, I've got a new GSA now. So pretty excited about that. Yeah, that's fantastic. So, so you're what? So, I remember talking to another Cameron Brooks alumnus who you and I were chatting about um, before I hit the record button here, uh, Alex Delgado. But I remember seeing Alex in Chicago at a conference maybe a year or two ago, and he said that he's operating out of his home office as kind of his home base, and then he's going out to his facilities on a you know, routine, maybe not daily, but generally daily or routine basis. What's your day to day look like? Yeah, I would say that is pretty common for regional directors. It just depends, I think, on where you're located and whether or not there is a, a regional office that uh, some of the, the regional directors might have offices at. But yeah, absolutely. Just like like Alex mentioned to you, um, a lot of the day to day is is getting to the facilities and actually being there face-to-face with the teams, so connecting directly with the facility administrators, 
a group facility administrators if you have them in the region and you know basically providing a, a, a supporting role a supporting function and really there's there's really four main categories within the regional director role that are really the bread and butter of, of what the role really is and and but I, it'll always come back to being a to me a servant leadership role where we are really tasked with being in the facilities having a, a leadership presence it's not a situation where you know <laughs> i've heard teammates in the past with the vita say oh we, we never even met our regional director in the past they would just come by every once in a while and um you know that certainly is is not you know the, the best demonstrated practice so it's really important for me and and for my peers across the, the company you know mm -hmm. leadership presence is, is key and uh being able to support the facility administrators to help them support um, the individual uh, nurses and patient care technicians is really a huge part of the role. Uh, but really the four big buckets that I was getting ready to, to explain was just, uh, you know, the clinical outcomes for patient care. There's a lot of initiative around that. And DaVita is a very metric-driven company. There's a lot of clinical metrics that we're uh, very um, in touch with with trying to make sure that we're we're meeting our own internal goals but also meeting the, the goals and, and requirements for for centers for medicare and medicaid service for quality care so there's a lot of energy around um, providing great clinical care and sometimes that that the follow-up on that uh, does require conference calls or in-person meetings to go patient by patient level detail to figure out you know what what are some of the root causes and what are some ways we can improve um, some of the outcomes. So there's a lot of energy and focus around improving clinical outcomes, which usually is in the form of various meetings or conference calls, depending on what the topic may be. Um, but yeah, there's a, there's a lot of, there's a pretty good bit of travel. I would say any regional director in DaVita is going to spend some time behind a windshield. Um, yeah. A pretty good bit. So, um, but yeah, there's so what the, are, other, the other What areas. are the other three? Yeah. Mm -hmm, go ahead. Yeah. What yeah, are those so other the three categories? <clears throat> So the operations outcomes, so essentially what I'm talking about is the financial uh, management of each region. <clears throat> so every facility has its own individual budget, and that's going to include labor budget, that's going to include medical expenses, uh, repair and maintenance for the buildings, uh, every single thing that you could imagine, uh, there's a budget for, uh, for every yeah. single facility. So as a regional director, um, of course, I'm primarily concerned with the regional performance and looking at it more in a portfolio view. Uh, with the understanding that you know some months might be a little over, some months some months might be a little under, but um, the goal, of course, at the end of the year is to to meet the budget. So there, right. there's a lot of uh, a lot of focus on that as well because it is a, a pretty huge uh, importance of the role as well to make sure we're managing our budgets properly. And then the other two aspects are going to be the growth aspect of the business. You know, trying to find opportunities to develop strategic partnerships with either external hospital entities or other physician practices and maybe establish a new partnership there that could, you know, help grow the business. Um, and then uh, the uh, teammate and teammate retention uh, is a huge one. And, you know, we're only going to be as successful as we're able to retain and develop and groom our, our high-performing teammates. So um, keeping our people is, is a huge focus as well. Right. I, uh, those, this may be an obvious question based on what you just said, but at the end of the day, Chris, how are you measured? I assume those are the four categories, but is there one that's more important or at the end of the day, do they say, Hey man, your performance this year has been X relative to this one thing, or is it all four of those or how does that look? Yeah. So all four of those categories, they do, uh, DeVita has their own, um, 
what's called a, just their leaderboard, and all those different uh, categories are in some way, shape, or form are calculated into a numerical value. And based on your performance in each of those categories, it, it gives you a score, and you can kind of see how you're ranked among your peers, which can uh, which can be interesting sometimes. So Davida is a very competitive business. Um, there's a lot of energy around uh, just trying to provide you know great outcomes and and do well in all facets of the business. But um, so yes, as a regional director, you know a lot of how we're evaluated is how we're performing across the, our leaderboard. Um, you know, that's not everything. It is important, but it's, it's not something that is necessarily going to, to make or break you. Uh, but a lot of it is just around your leadership behaviors. You know, how are you, as an individual regional director, how are you behaving in your region? Are you uh, really digging in and, and trying to find the root causes for the problems and, and really taking the necessary steps and putting in the effort to try to correct some of the challenges in the, in the market? Um, you know, do your, do your direct reports and indirect reports, you know, see you? Are you present? Do they feel like you're supportive and, and, and interested in trying to help the facility be successful? Because, I mean, there's every day there's fires to put out. <laughs> that is, uh, that mm -hmm. is for sure. But it's something that, you know, it's not just based on the numerical performance or based on, you know, hey, did you meet all your numbers? Because if you didn't, then you're underperforming. But it's also based on, you know, how are you conducting yourself? as a as a, a leader you know what are your leadership behaviors and are they in line with the with the culture of of davida hmm. um, there's so much to dig into can you give us one example you know i don't think we'll have enough time to dig into everything unfortunately <laughs> can you give us one example of a you know you said there's fires to put out every day maybe something that comes to top of mind mm -hmm. in the last week or two get, what, what's what's a fire <laughs> that you've had to put out recently yeah, I have a great one, um, and this doesn't happen <laughs> too often, but it does happen, unfortunately, sometimes. And uh, so, one of the uh, it's a, a federal requirement, uh, requirement, of course, uh, mandated by Centers for Medicare and Medicaid. But in every single dialysis facility, we have to have at least one registered nurse in the building at all times. That is, there's no okay. exception to that. If we don't have okay. a registered nurse in the building, we cannot begin treatments for patients. And okay. uh, Generally, we have clinics that are usually starting first treatment at 6 a.m., uh, some even a little earlier than that, 5.30 a.m. or so. Um, but in one of my particular facilities, um, we had a, the nurse that was scheduled to work that day. Um, she called in to her facility administrator about two hours before her first shift, so we're talking three or so in the morning. And um, at that point in time, um, you know, I got a pretty early phone call, which uh, <laughs> it, does, it does happen because... At this point, my facility administrator was reaching out to me for help to try to say, hey, look, this is the situation. Our nurse called in. We're going to be delayed delayed for the day if we don't find a nurse to come to come fill in for us. And right. so at that point in time, you know, it's it's you know not the kind of wake up you want to have because it, it immediately mm -hmm. the, the stress kind of starts building up. But you know that, hey, you know, like my job right now is to support my facility administrator to try to help resolve this issue so that we don't delay the day mm -hmm. and we don't mm -hmm. delay patients. So we start reaching out and and making early, early morning phone calls. And and, um, you know, we eventually were able to find somebody who was nice enough to come help us out that day. So we were able to right. not be. We were slightly delayed, but not not to a significant point to where um, we had any major issues. So, but uh, yeah, that was a a fire that I recently had to help yeah, put out yeah, uh, a few weeks yeah. ago. So, uh, that's interesting. I uh, um, tell us tell us a little bit. I mean, there's a couple other points I want to make. Yeah, I just want to dig into this real quick. Um, so you uh, you minored in biology at the University of Alabama. 
but you, but you didn't do anything medical in the Marine Corps. And that's a question I get a lot from officers like, okay, so how could I even go to a company like DeVita or a healthcare company? I don't even know much about healthcare. Like what, what was, why yeah. did they hire you? You know, this, this someone with no experience in the industry. Um, why would a company like that, like yours do that? Yeah. And I would just say that's, that's a really, a really great question. It makes, and it, that's exactly how I, when I first was, was starting, I was like, I'm a pretty non-traditional hire. He was like, um, you know, I don't have some of the mm-hmm. prerequisites that a lot of traditional regional director hires have. But I would say uh, for anyone who's looking into DeVita, don't let that discourage you from feeling like you're, you're, you don't have the correct educational background. Because frankly, the, uh, I was never asked anything about my, my educational background or, you know, oh, you have a criminal justice degree or a biology minor. Like, okay, that's not exactly what we're looking for. That had no bearing whatsoever on my, uh, on my ability to get into this organization and, and, and have been here now for over three years. So it has everything to do with the leadership exposure and experience that I had in the Marine Corps. And, you know, my, for the first, uh, almost for the first about two and a half years of my time as a regional director, my, my, my boss was um, a JMO as well. And he got out as a pretty senior captain and then went to business school and then ended up going to DeVita. So a different route, but still ended up uh, with DeVita as well. And, you know, grew through the ranks as, as a, started off as a rod and then became a, a division vice president. But, um, you know, that was really the thing. He's like, hey, you know, the reason why you're here, the reason why we selected you is because you have really great examples of, of really being involved in a lot of leadership opportunities. And, and that's essentially what we need in this area. You can learn the industry. You can, you can once mm-hmm. you're here and you're, and you're getting around to the facilities and you're meeting all the people that you need to meet, you're going to just absorb knowledge just with the day-to-day interaction of everything that's just the essence of the job. So I would say, you know, yes, there is going to require some individual study and research and trying to educate yourself and just learn from others. But um, it's not something that I feel like is an absolute requirement to have knowledge and exposure to prior to coming into an industry like this. So, um, I mean, I've learned so much about just healthcare in, in general, just the business of healthcare, uh, of course, specific to the kidney care industry, but things that, you know, I never would really be able to learn on my own, uh, but I've been able to learn just through exposure of the, of the role. So. That's good. You mentioned you're talking about the guy who was a JMO and went to business school and then kind of came into the same job you went into. Does that mean that your next path when, or your next promotion, whenever that might be, I mean, it, you know, whatever, whatever it looks like, would be the divisional VP or there, is there anything you can do in between that? Yeah, so, um, no, it would not, the next step would not be divisional vice president. Um, so they actually do have a role called group regional operations director, which is essentially okay. the uh, regional equivalent of the group facility administrator role. So um, at the facility level. So the next progression for me uh, would be a group regional operations director role where I would uh, essentially have one or two other regional directors report to me. And it would be that, that additional link between the divisional vice president to the regional director that I'm, you know, potentially if I were to get promoted into that role, uh, would, would report directly to me. So, um, okay. so that, that would be the next progression step. And then of course, after that, um, it would be a division vice president role, uh, after the, after that role. Yeah. Gotcha. Okay, cool. Um, I always like to ask this question toward the end of the call. I think it's a, it's, it's helpful for those that are 
considering a transition or preparing for a transition, and that is what advice would you give yourself? Like, okay, let's rewind all the way back to the fall of 2015, a couple of months or a month or two before you're coming to a career conference. What advice would you give yourself in that moment? Yeah, so I would say looking back and just thinking about, you know, some of the things I personally did and some things that I kind of wish I had did or had a little bit of a different mindset, but I would say, and this is this is easier said than done, so it really does take a lot of just mental focus to be able to do this, but I would say just try not to stress yourself out too much about worrying about what you don't know regarding the different industries that you're going to interview with because there's no way that you're going to be able to know everything about all these different industries. And that was one thing that I remember when I went to the conference and you guys do a great job of, of getting us a really great assortment of opportunities um, based on all the conversations we have through the program. And, you know, there are industries I never would have personally, you know, even thought about uh, possibly interviewing with. So I would say for anyone who's going through this process where you're getting ready to go to the conference or you're really anxious about getting to find out what companies you're going to interview with and what industries it's going to be. Um, don't stress yourself out too much about that and, and don't feel like you need to know everything because uh, it really is not going to be a great use of your time. Um, and then I would say don't wait too late to start practicing your interview questions. And, and what I mean by that is actually start saying them out loud and getting mm -hmm. used to hearing your voice and getting used to knowing uh, you know, what your rate of speech is. And for some people, it's kind of uncomfortable to listen to yourself over a recorded message or if you, even if you record yourself on a video it can be a little uncomfortable but I would I would say that is really important to your success in the conference is getting comfortable with with talking out loud with communicating your interview answers and what I did was I had a pretty long commute while I was in the Cameron Brooks program uh, so in the mornings uh, and the afternoons when I was leaving I would uh, just rehearse my questions out loud and just got comfortable with the overall essence of the answer. And then I ended up uh, partnering with a, a, a buddy through the Cameron Brooks process as well. And we ended up doing FaceTime mock interviews with one another, which I thought was really helpful. So yeah, uh, if you haven't started doing those types of, of interview practice uh, processes yet, then I would certainly recommend starting that sooner rather than later, because that really is going to be what gives you the most confidence going into the, into the conferences is having really good, um, knowledge of all your accomplishments and being able to articulate them and adapt them to whatever the job, the the role is that you're interviewing with. So um, that would be, I, I would say, prior to the conference, some of the advice that I would give somebody who's who's in that situation right now. Last question, um, and it's because you said you have a lot of windshield time. Are you listening to any good books or podcasts that you would recommend? So um, I, I, I'm listening to a podcast that's not necessarily specific to my current role. Uh, it is just something that uh, as I've gotten more exposure to business, um, I, I'm, I'm just trying to learn a little bit more about uh, real estate stuff and potentially okay. uh, some maybe Kansas City has a pretty, pretty good real estate market from what I've been reading. So I am listening to uh, a, a podcast called Bigger Pockets about real estate investing and investing <laughs> is something that I'm personally interested in um, on the yeah, side, yeah. but a couple of books that I have actually um, read, and one was um, given to me from my prior manager, um, and it was called Credibility, and I think that it was really important just, uh, and I guess the, author, the authors are James Cousins and Barry Posner, 
but okay. uh, just really transitioning into a different industry with a lot of leadership experience from the military uh, is fantastic, but it's, it's really kind of helped you, me understand, you know, what really are different people in different industries seeking in terms of a leader. And, you know, in different industries, there's really different, different aspects of leadership that people are seeking. And so that was a good one. And then, uh, like I mentioned a little bit earlier, you know, employee retention is, is huge for us. The healthcare unemployment is really low. And so it's a, it's a really, and I kind of shared the story about, you know, having a, a, a nurse call in, which created a lot of stress, but we're really right. have a lot of focus and energy on, on retaining our teammates. So there's a, a really good book about that called Love Them or Lose Them. It's mm. about uh, retaining and developing your good teammates um, mm. and just helping them grow as well. So that was a, a pretty good one as well. It's good. Chris, this is, I know, I know we're up against it here, so uh, we're going to, we're I'm going to call it, but hey, thank you. This is, uh, I really wanted to do this podcast with you because one, we haven't chatted in forever and I knew you'd, you'd be up for sharing your experiences. And so it's good to hear your voice and kind of walk through that again. But I also really wanted to hear more about DeVita. DeVita is a, is a company that is really focused on patient care and they're willing to bring in non-traditional high caliber talent to help them be successful in their business. So I was just excited to get some of that information out there based on your company as well. So my friend, thank you. Great to chat with you again. Thanks hey, for thank uh, you as well. taking a couple of minutes. Absolutely. Thanks right. for the invitation and uh, talk to you again, hopefully soon. All right. Sounds great. Thank you, my friend. Take care. All right. Thank you, Pete. All right. Have a All good right. Bye. Bye.